Hey, good evening, everyone. Uh, live from our studio here in North Minneapolis, I'm Lacey Johnson, and this is this week's episode of Bright Lights, uh, where we bring to you achievers in all areas of human endeavors, where we have focus on business and education and just ideas of people. And we like to bring you all kinds of diverse ideas from all kinds of diverse people. And that's one of our goals. Uh, as I said, we tend not to want to censor anybody as it's the fashion today. Uh, yeah, it's another blessed day in the neighborhood. Uh, I want to wish everyone a happy New Year's uh, as uh, is my uh, habit of doing. Just to give you a few highlights from the previous week. Uh, went to a basketball tournament, and that was pretty good. Uh, was planning on going to the Alcorn State uh, game against the Gophers, Minnesota Gopher basketball team, and that was canceled due to some COVID concerns, and I was somewhat disappointed by that, uh, even though the crowd that we uh, was going, there was about 20 of us, we decided to get together anyway. Uh, and it actually turned into a great holiday uh, festivity. And so I enjoyed that. And and so the basketball game, I'm hoping to uh, do a, get to another gopher game with the group of people that uh, we were planning on for Alcorn State. And as I was explaining to you, uh, Alcorn State is an HBCU uh, located in Lorman, Mississippi, uh, about 40 miles from my hometown. And it's part of my uh, childhood memories. We used to play, I played for first trombone uh, in my high school band. So we used to go up there and play for their homecoming every year. So those were some great moments. Uh, so my wife, once again, she cooked dinner for the holidays. Ever since my uh, grandson, our grandson has been born, she all, never missed a holiday meal. And I really appreciate that in her because, you know, one of our major uh, responsibilities, I think, as parents is to create positive memories for our children and uh, just these holiday dinners I think is creating positive memories for my grandson uh, of course being uh, southerners well, that's a southern tradition to have black eyed peas every New Year's and I guess that's supposed to set you up for some good things in the year ahead so my wife cooked some black eyed peas and we had that and just had a great time with the family now uh, today I'm excited to have uh, as my guest, uh, Shia Lowe. Uh, Shia is a prominent member of the Hmong community here in Minnesota. And uh, I've been having some very good Hmong friend and been invited to a lot of Hmong celebration for the past 20 or 30 years. And uh, I, I've said it to them and I'll say it to you. Uh, they have one of the best spirits I've ever met from a, uh, a group of people, man. I just love being around them. They're friendly and welcoming and uh, just always got a good uh, spirit about them. And so I'm very happy to consider Shia as a friend and acquaintance of mine and all the uh, other people that we know in the Hmong community and going to their Valentine celebrations and all their festivities and their restaurants and things like that. So I, I feel like I'm an official Hmong. But what we're going to focus on today is uh, we'll delve, delve into a little history. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the monks' journey to America and what they're contributing here and their experiences and things like that. And we'll get into a lot of other things with the Hmong culture and things like that. So, But before we do that, we'll probably get into some things about 
uh, Shia and his history and his family. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome one of the uh, local Hmong leaders here, uh, Mr. Shia Lowe. Hey, Shia, welcome to Bright Lights. Lacey, thank you for having me uh, to uh, Bright Lights. I know you're doing uh, great things and uh, we're sharing ideas and, uh, you know, reaching out to people and, and uh, learning. So um, thank you for having me and I'm more than happy to uh, uh, tell everyone a little bit about myself and uh, how the Hmong got here and our contribution and what we need to do. Okay. Well, let's... Uh... Start with a little history lesson here. I say often to people, by the time you get yeah. to my age, uh, a lot of history, you lived it. And it's not something you read in a, a textbook or anything. And uh, I happened yeah. to yeah. Uh, live during the Vietnam War era and the uh, whole Indochina and that war. And I do know, just to let our audience know, that uh, back in the what, uh, early 60s, it actually started long before that, but the real uh, uh, conflict and heavy involvement of the U.S., uh, the United States was started probably in the 60s. We ended up uh, having over 50,000 young uh, Americans killed in that war. And it was basically a um, um, kind of like a fight against communism and, and China, which uh, I tell everybody when we grew up, they were called Red China. It's just interesting to see how things evolve over time. But anyway, uh, there was some things going on in the Vietnam War. The Ho Chi Minh Trail, I think, might ran through Laos and things like that. But the bottom line is that uh, there were people in Laos who was recruited, I think, mainly by the CIA. And I'll let uh, uh, Shia uh, fill that in. But uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the Vietnam War, I, I recommend that you just know history and go out and read up on it. And uh, you're filling some of the blank spaces that uh, crop up during uh, Shia's conversation. So Shia, just give us a little history on the uh, Hmong involvement in the uh, Vietnam conflict and how all that ended up and how it eventually led to a lot of the Hmongs relocating to the United States. And so, uh, yeah, um, Lacey, um, um, from what I know, I was only 10 years old when we um, arrived in the U.S. So I was uh, seven years old when we left the country. Um, I still remember a lot of things, but I learned a lot uh, as to what happened to, to the Hmong and how we got into the war um, from a little bit from my father and then of course, learning from many of the veterans who are actually here in this country, including General Vang Pao, about our involvement. But basically, the United States uh, signed an agreement uh, with the United Nations uh, not to send troops into Laos during the Vietnam War, and Laos was going to be uh, remain neutral. Um, and so the North Vietnamese uh, used Laos to carry their supplies to destroy the American and the South Vietnamese. The United States needed an army within Laos uh, to counter what the communists were doing. Uh, clearly what the communists was doing, the North uh, communists in Vietnam uh, was in violation of that agreement, but they were doing it anyway. So they're using Laos as a neutral country to carry their military supplies to kill all the Americans in the South. And so the United States came out with a plan on how they're going to disrupt that supply and also engage the North communists 
um, so that they would not go to the south to uh, destroy the American forces and what the, they were trying to do in Vietnam. And as a result of that, uh, the American engaged the Hmong community um, in Laos. Um, back then, uh, we were hunter and gatherers. Um, and my father told me, and, and based on uh, all the Hmong leaders that I've talked to as well, uh, before the American came over, we know how to manufacture our own gun. We know how to manufacture our own uh, powder. And as a little boy, little boy um, following my father around, um, I saw how my dad manufactured the gun and the gunpowder, uh, collecting uh, bats feces as, as nitrogen, we call it this country. We didn't know um, anything about nitrogen back in Laos, but we know that by using bat feces, that we could, uh, you know, uh, create explosion. And so uh, my father already knew how to do that. Many of the Hmong knew how to do that. We're uh, great uh, hunters and, and shooter. And, and when American came over and, and uh, recruited us to fight for the United States, uh, we uh, took on uh, machine guns. So if we could shoot fairly well with um, ancient weapons that we're already shooting, imagine what we can actually do if you give us a machine gun and we did tremendous damage uh, to the North Vietnamese um, uh, communists, and we fought the North Vietnamese communists to uh, 15 years standing still, which means that we did not give grounds at all with minimal U.S. support um, from the CAA. Uh, we did that work, and as a result, we occupied um, thousands of uh, uh, North Vietnamese communist soldiers that could have gone south and, and um, uh, done more damage to the U.S. forces. Now, according to uh, the CIA um, um, statements and, and documentation, if it wasn't for the Hmong, the United States uh, uh, memorial for the Vietnam uh, in, in uh, DC would be twice as big, uh, twice as long, uh, because the, the Hmong actually occupied and fought and engaged the North Vietnamese and attacked the trail um, the Hmong prevented many, many deaths that the U.S. Uh, military would have suffered if we were without the Hmong. But as a result, uh, we paid a heavy price, and uh, and uh, the communists came after us. Um, we lost about 30% of our population um, in this effort to, uh, to defend the United States and freedom in Laos. And, and uh, because of that contribution, we were allowed to immigrate into the United States as refugees. Okay, uh, you mentioned earlier that you left uh, Laos, I think it's the age of seven, and then you mentioned the age of 10 getting to the United States. Yes. Fill in those three years for me. Uh, yeah, Jill. so yeah, so uh, because my dad was an advisor to the Central Intelligence and to General Vang Powell, uh, my dad was a marked target. In other words, they specifically see, sought him out to arrest him and 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 to send him to the education camp that he probably would not would not survive. So we left when I was seven years old, and we crossed the Mekong River on a canoe um, under uh, military control. And so uh, they were going to shoot at us, and then we crossed the middle of the river. So once you cross the center line, they won't shoot at you. But we can hear. The military putting their guns and 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 uh, these big guns that they put together and it makes a lot of noise and you can clearly hear that as they were prepared to shoot us and so uh, we fled to uh, Thailand, crossing the Mekong River when I was seven years old, 
and we stay at the refugee camp for uh, at least two, 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 two years before we could immigrate into the U.S. as uh, as uh, as refugees. And now most mo most people do not understand that uh, when the Hmong came over, um, we have to uh, go through an interview where uh, the CIA and the State Department will come and interview us to make sure that we actually fought for the United States before we would qualify to immigrate to the United States as refugees. Unlike many refugees that uh, enter the United States now, um, they do not have to go through that, that, that screening process, but we did. And so uh, we were there detained at the refugee camp in Thailand, go through the screening process, and then uh, searching for um, a sponsor in the United States that, that is willing to sponsor our family into the US. And that's why it took a while for all of that to, to come together in order for my family and many Hmong families, in fact, all Hmong families to eventually immigrate into the US. Now, I understand from previous conversation that you first uh, came to Chicago, I think, and then eventually you ended up in Minneapolis. Uh, how was your experience uh, in Chicago, I'm assuming you had a sponsoring family there, but how was that experience uh, before you moved to Minneapolis? Yeah, I, well, I went to, um, under, I did my undergrad at North Park University in Chicago. Uh, but you, you, you're correct. We did come to Chicago on our way to our sponsors. And the, 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 there are six different church denominations that came together to sponsor my family. It's super unique. Uh, I I go to a different church every Sunday because six of them sponsor us. So, um, you know, every a denomination sing a little bit differently, but everyone reads the same Bible and uh, everybody talks about the Lord Jesus. Um, um, but <clears throat> anyway, um, um, with Chicago, um, we landed um, in New York. From New York, we they sent us to Chicago. We stay at a hotel in Chicago. And uh, we're going to need an episode just to talk about that incident <laughs> in Chicago. Okay. But um, from Chicago, we went to Eau Claire, and that's where um, the six churches welcomed us into our oh, new okay. home. It was uh, actually Pepin, Wisconsin, only an hour away from the Twin Cities that eventually resettled. We came to uh, Pepin in June of 76, and then we moved to St. Paul in about the, the summer of uh, 78. We, we moved to the Twin Cities. Okay, so since you arrived uh, in the U.S. at 10 years old, uh, I'm assuming between the age of 10 and somewhere along the line, uh, not only did you get your undergrad degree, you went to William and Mitchell, I think, and got your law degree, but along the way, uh, you met your wife, and uh, now you have a family. And uh, mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about your current family uh, yeah, sure. yeah. So what? Um, you know, the, the the Lord works in mysterious ways. So I, I, I grew up uh, in the Twin Cities. Um, you know, we moved to uh, St. Paul in '78, and so I went to um, elementary school, uh, junior high, high school here, and then I went to North Park University. And after undergrad, I did my medical technology down there as well. And then I moved up here to um, back to Minnesota to be with my family, and I attended Hamlin University Law School. And after that, I, I 
you know, I, I met my wife and, uh, and she's Hmong, but she's from French Guiana in South America. Because when the Hmong immigrated out of uh, Thailand as refugees, they also immigrated into France. And so she went down to French Guiana and then I came to the US. And then we eventually met when she came up here to visit her family and we got married. And now we have uh, four beautiful children that are all pretty much grown up now. Um, the youngest, uh, she's still in high school. Um, she's 15 and um, a handful um, for the block, of course. Uh, but anyway, um, that's, that's who we are. And they, we're a typical American family. We live in White Bear Lake. You know, uh, four children. I've got four dogs, uh, a turtle, a fish, and uh, a tank full of fish. <laughs> now, earlier, you mentioned your father. Uh, and tell us about how it was growing up and the influence of your father and your elders. And yeah. what was it about that childhood that uh, gave you the motivation and desire? And I always say tenacity to pursue a degree yeah. here and to go on to be a lawyer. Uh, tell me about your family growing up. Sure. You know, um, I do want to share this story. And this is um, somewhat uh, also a, um, a miracle that uh, I end up here in the U.S. But I want everyone to listening to know that my father was picked by God uh, even before we became Christians. Um, in his vision, right before the United States came into Laos, uh, three angels uh, visited him, and he told this story repeatedly to all of us until he passed about some 14 years ago. But my father was visited by these three angels, and they specifically instructed my father to go and clear a field large enough, enough for, for a plane uh, helicopter to land on. And uh, once he cleared the field, he's supposed to put up a, a pole and put a white cloth on it. And he said, why, why do you want me to do this? And, and they said, the most powerful nation on earth is going to land there. Just trust us. You, you've been picked. You must go and do this. And when you wake up, you must go. And so he, when he woke up from that dream or that trend, he said, he told my mom, he said, we got to go and clear these fields because the most powerful nation is going to land on this uh, piece of land that we're going to clear so that it's just a you know, super dense jungle. You plan couldn't land on it. So my mom, my dad, and took all, he took all these relatives, um, um, went out there and cleared the field. And sure enough, they put a pole in the middle. Um, he put a white cloth on it as he was instructed by the angels. And a week later, the American helicopter land on that field. And because of that relationship, the American um, developed their relationship with my father um, and my father, and then helped uh, General Vang Pao, the legendary general that led the Hmong forces um, for 15 years against the North communist Vietnamese, um, General Vang Pao. Um, and so the, the, these are the um, uh, giants that moved me, that shaped me. Um, there was an American um, um, advisor, um, for US aid, as his name is uh, Pop, Pop Bill, we call him Pop. And he's a farmer from um, Indiana. Um, and he's, uh, he came over as a volunteer with the US aid and uh, met my father um, and started working with my father. And so one of the things that they end up doing or uh, what the United States wanted to do was to feed all of the um, families um, 
uh, that uh, the men has to go and fight in the war for the United States, right? And as a result, they, 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 you know, they lose their lives. And what are we going to do with the family? How are we going to feed the family? Well, my dad ended up uh, caring for all these families and working with USAIDS and Pop Bill to feed them and to house them and, and to raise animals. And we, I grew up on a farm where the United States sends in animals for us to raise. And then we, we distribute a pair of chicken, a pair of pigs, um, uh, ducks uh, to all the refugees that were uh, fleeing from the war um, inside of Laos. Um, but uh, the, these uh, people like my father, General Vang Pao, Pop Bills, they're, they're the one that influenced me the most. And then of course, coming over here and um, learning about the church. Um, now, uh, the, here's what's unique about uh, the church and, and what really moved me to become a Christian is not so much about um, the religion of Christianity, but is about the love of the church and the act of the church that caused me to become a Christian. And um, I was moved by a group of Americans, a six different group of uh, uh, churches that would come together and um, took care of a refugee family that they knew nothing about, that doesn't know how to speak English, that they have to teach us, to feed us like a bunch of children, that there was 11 of us. They took us to the, to the hospital, they, they, they took us to the clinic, they fed us, they clothed us, um, and they helped us and they put in, us in school and they're showing me pictures of, of uh, animals and, and uh, teach me word by word on how to speak English. And uh, they, yeah, I mean, so we, I grew up in the church and, uh, um, knowing that uh, these are people that loved us and that uh, I started asking the question, why would a group of Caucasian or European descendant um, uh, took care of a Hmong family from Southeast Asia and welcomed them into the home and took, good ca uh, took care of them, took the time to feed them, clothe them, and educate them and, and make sure that they, are be they become productive uh, US citizen. Why would, why would they do that? What force um, allowed them to do that? And um, I learned eventually that it was the Bible and, and the religion and the instruction in the Bible that, that, uh, that, that God told them that, you know, by their love, uh, that, that they are Christians and that's how the world would know. And so that's my first personal story about the church and that how, they, how the church influenced me as well. Um, and so, you know, one of the questions that we want to share, you, you asked me to share as to why I become a public servant. So why do I want to serve? Well, you know, God gave my family a lot and he picked my family and picked my father. I feel as though everything that I'm doing, I, I need to give back um, to what God has given me. And uh, so I'm just sharing the blessings that he's given me in, every, in everything that I do. Um, every day is about how I can return what God has given me to all of the people that I touch. Yeah, it's the parable of the talents. What's going to be your return on this <laughs> investment? Uh, you have mentioned uh, General uh, Vang Pao. And once again, being familiar with the Hmong community, I know the reverence that he holds in that community. I do know uh, at one time he was like the leader of the Hmong community here in the United States, and he lived in St. Paul. I remember reading an article about his passing, but why don't you give us a feel for 
the uh, importance and reverence of uh, General Vang Pao, who yeah. kept leading over in Laos. Yeah. So like every great leader, you know, they leave their legacy in our hearts instead of a statute, right? General Vang Pao was one of those exceptional leaders like Martin Luther King, you know, John F. Kennedy Jr., right? Um, you know, uh, Abraham Lincoln, um, George Washington, uh, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson. The, the, these are exceptional human beings that God gave to us. General Van Powell was one, was one of those. And the general was picked to lead the Hmong forces. Um, and, uh, you know, he suffered a lot and he, he learned a lot and he's also gone through a lot. But uh, it was because of his leadership and his um, unwillingness to surrender, uh, unwillingness to, to give up, always believing that tomorrow will be a better day, will be a brighter day that God is going to give us, so the ancestors are going to give us. And so it, it was always the general uh, painting the way, how to win the war is to protect his people how to take his people into a different country, how to set up uh, nonprofits like Lao Family and a nonprofit organization to help educate his people, to get them to work and, and to become productive citizens. That was very important for General Vang Pao, that we do not forget where we came from, that we are loyal to the United States all the way to the very end and into the future. And so many Hmong, um, young people now joined the U.S. military trying to carry that legacy. He talks about the importance of education, that if you're not educated, you're not going to be able to help yourself. You can't help your people. You can't help other people. You cannot help the United States. You can't be productive. So education was critical. He pushed for that. He pushed for unity, and he formed the Hmong Council so that the Hmong community can, can unite and speak one voice. We can't have too many chief and no no Indians, right? right. So he understands that. He said, you know, we got to form chiefs and uh, and so that we can move the 18 families. And uh, he did that as well. But the general has done a lot. But if, if it, um, one thing that I have to, I would point out to what he what he has done uh, was that he, you know, he, he convey um, the character of never surrender the character of I will do what is necessary to be free and that I will do whatever is necessary to make sure that America remain free. And those are very deep messages that, uh, that he convey. He doesn't come out and actually preach every day, but it's what he does. And he's a man of action. You know, he doesn't talk. He, he gets it done. When it really matters, General Van Powell showed up. And so when General Van Powell passed um, in California, the funeral was seven days and seven nights, and most Americans probably do not did not uh, understand or, or, or saw or witnessed that. But I was there, uh, and uh, we there were so many Hmong that gathered in in Fresno for the funeral that that uh, we 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 purchased all the cows. I mean, we we bought all the cows in Fresno to butcher and eat for the funeral. I mean, and they, people talked about that, but the generals loved and his legacy brought the Hmong community together. 
it was really his love for his people that that caused them to come back and pay their respect. And so it is one of the most well attended funeral um, uh, of any Hmong person that I've seen. Well, I had a chance to, I've had a chance to meet his son and I just see the reverence that he's well, well deserved reverence he's held in the Hmong community. Now you mentioned uh, your dad's vision and uh, creating the helicopter pad. You mentioned the fact that uh, uh, you lost 30% of your population uh, during the Vietnam War, fighting against communists and Ho Chi Minh. Uh, you mentioned your trip as a refugee over here. So how is it that going through all that, uh, experiencing everything you experienced, that you still had the, shall we say, umph to say, I'm going to be a lawyer. In fact, before you answer that, what made you decide to be a lawyer <laughs> and what gave you the umph to go ahead and uh, achieve that goal? So I, I know uh, how much the Hmong community suffer. And uh, I, we didn't know anything about the world then. We only knew that um, Laos exists. We were out in the jungle. We met the Americans. They preached freedom. They're serious. They gave us the weapon to defend ourselves, to to be free and not to be controlled by the communists. And so uh, that's what 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 I grew up with. And so when I came into America, I want to know what is it that made America the most powerful nation on earth. It's the laws that governs this country, and so I have to learn that. I I want to understand what it takes to for America to be the most powerful nation, the three branches of government, our constitution, how all that inter, uh, interact comes together to create the most powerful nation on earth uh, where um, every person in America has an opportunity to achieve the American dream. And that's only possible because the laws of this country. And that's why I decided to go to law school. Uh, aside from that, my Brothers, we were all trying to go to medical school, and two of them did, did go to medical school, and I figured they're going to get sued, and so they're <laughs> going to need all the help they can get. So as their brother, I better go and, and learn how to protect them as well. But kidding aside, the biggest issue was really wanting to understand the laws of this country and um, you know, become an attorney and uh, learning the laws and, and, and be using the law and practicing the law for almost more than uh, 20 years now. I, I, I really understand it much better if I did not go to law school. So I'm very thankful that I became an attorney and now I'm able to um, read and interpret the law and to make sure that people apply the law correctly. Um, that's what I do every day is to uh, make sure that the law apply correctly and that my clients are are protected um, and, and so that we can maintain the freedom um, and security and peace of this country. Yeah, you met my wife and she, in a previous job, she worked with a lot of immigrants and ironically, uh, they generally knew more about the constitution and laws than my American <laughs> friends, ironically. And I read, keep reading somewhere where uh, the majority of America can't pass the basic immigration test. They've taken civics out of the classroom and they mm -hmm. don't history anymore. So that's just one of my pet peeves. Well, okay, so it motivated you to become a lawyer. 
and uh, how are you enjoying your practice right now? Mm -hmm. And uh, how are things going as a lawyer? And and by the way, uh, I have to put this in, you know, because it's my show that I can put in personal comments. Mm -hmm. uh, just the fees your lawyers charge, man. When are we gonna? <laughs> we need a log for your lawyers, man, and lower your fees because that'll bankrupt most people. But anyway, how's the uh, business, legal business been going for you? Challenges? Uh, you enjoy? I know you enjoy just helping people who need services, and I, I kind of sense, uh, knowing you a little bit, that you're not one of those high-end, expensive and uh, lawyers who's you have to mortgage your home. Uh, for a retainer. So, how how's the uh, field of law practice been going for you, Shia? Yeah, it's uh, very rewarding. Um, every day that I, I get up, I I I feel good um, helping every client, um, making sure that um, that they are going where they need to go and they're protected, and that the cases are moving forward. Um, and so I enjoy that. I I feel like maybe you know uh, this is really my calling. Um, now, uh, with regards to fees, uh, you know, I, I look at the, their ability to earn and how much they have. And, um, I, I try to explain to them that, um, you, you know, you, 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 you treasure what you pay for. And if it's important mm -hmm. and if you don't pay for it, you don't, you don't respect it. You don't respect lawyers. You know, I, I have the opposite. Now, big corporate lawyers, they, they get paid a lot of money, but most lawyers that are out there working and helping everyone, um, they're just like everybody else. You know, they make ends meet and uh, yeah, you charge a lot, but that, that doesn't mean that you get you know, tons of clients through the door. Right. And so I, I, I want to encourage people to also pat lawyers on the back. You know, we get the chef all the time, but you all, people don't like lawyer until they need a good one, right? Yeah. So, you know, lawyers are, Lawyers are necessary to to keep our freedom and to protect um, America and to protect our justice system. And so, you know, with, with the fees, uh, I, I always say, you know, and the, the most satisfied clients are the one that actually pay the bills. The one that are always not happy is the one that is not willing to pay and just want to get it for free. And, and that's not right either, because I, I always tell um, clients that doesn't want to pay. You mind coming over and you know, I mean, cut my grass for me and you know, pay my yeah. bills. Uh, that that'd be very helpful. I I help you, so maybe uh, the mortgage company would would, would forgive me a fall month. They don't take that into consideration, Lacey. So uh, that's why it's the way it is, right? right I mean, right. Um, I wish I, I we could do it for free. Um, and there's such thing, and we have be a public defender that does things for free. Uh, but the state pays for that, and so I'm not sure what the answer is on, on uh, how to how to you know uh, lower the fees. But you know, if you think we charge a lot of money, people don't understand how much other professions are charging. Okay, so uh -huh. I I looked at uh, the guy that comes and picked up my trash, and I'm like, holy cow, you know, I mean, what go to law school and take out all these loans, you know? Right? You know, okay. a guy wanted I put a bathroom in the basement. I'm like, really, you know? I yeah. mean. So why do you think, so, uh -huh. that's right? I mean, I mean, we, I, I, I got a bone to pick with everybody else as well. So, I think um, the market will, in a free economy, the market will fare it out. We always tell people that we charge based on their market rate, demand and, and supply and demand, huh? Supply and demand. So, and then, yeah. Uh -huh. Well, if there's anyone can 
who can make me reconsider my opinion on legal fees is you, Shia. So I'm 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 well, taking into consideration what you just said. Okay, we let's talk a little bit about the Hmong culture. Oh. And uh let's start with uh, the general power and his reference, but you, you mentioned the Hmong Council, and I know there's yeah. a couple of levels of that. And uh explain all that to us because and I know we'll talk about it a little bit later, the generational, because you're probably transitioning to from your old culture to incorporate some new things into your culture. Uh, but let's talk about the role of the different the different types of councils and their roles. Mm -hmm. And specifically somewhere down the road, one thing I like about it is that you keep a lot of issues within the community. And right. you can solve them within the community. And I really respect that about your culture. So touch on the Hmong Council. And I know yep. there's different levels and what they do and how they fit into the community. Yeah, so like every race, um, every country, um, you have your own sets of uh, rules and how you're going to interact with each other, right? So how the Hmong are married, how they pay their dowry, uh, if they get into fights, how do you resolve those conflicts, make sure that they don't end up killing each other. Um, you know, if you offend somebody uh, purposely or by accident, how you're going to resolve those conflicts? You fight over land. Um, how do how does the Hmong resolve those conflicts? So, the Hmong are made out of 18 families. Okay, so I'm a low, so I can't marry. How we determine a family is a low cannot marry another lows if you're Hmong. Okay, if you're Afro American and you're low, fair game. Okay, mm -hmm. but if you're Hmong and you're a low, I cannot I cannot marry you, and so. The same family cannot marry each other. So we have 18 families. You got the Lowe's and the Lees and the Vang and the Yang and the Tao and the Mua and so on. There's only 18 families. Every Hmong in the U.S. and around the world, but especially here in the U.S., belong to the 18 families. Now, General Vang Pao has a vision to bring the family together, that each family would elect a representative Okay, it's an elected position. Each family elected representative to serve on the Hmong Council of 18. So the Hmong Council is made of 18 representative, each from the family, just like the way we elect leaders here in this country. We got 50, 50 families, right? Minnesota is one of those 50 families. And we elect the representative to come sit together to represent Minnesota. Same idea with the Hmong Council that the low representative represent the lows, the lead represent the leads. They would all come together and, and talk about problems and how to solve problems and how to connect with the Americans and how to connect with other groups and race that are in this country. That is the purpose of the Hmong Council is to resolve Hmong conflict and to connect with all of the uh, American fam different families or American leaders in this country. So given that, uh, one would tend to assume that you don't get law enforcement involved as often as a lot of other <clears throat> cultures and communities because you're solving those issues among yourself. Am I correct to assume that, Shia? Uh, to a point. Okay. Now, no one is above the law. The Hmong resolve their conflict and they must operate within the law of this country. 
So no witness tampering, for example, allowed. And as a, I was a lawyer for the Hmong Council for um, 18 years or so, and my role was to make sure that the Hmong Council does not violate American laws while protecting and resolving Hmong conflicts. So there's a way to do that. And that one of the reasons why we developed the Hmong Cultural Mediation Program was to allow the Hmong to use their culture to mediate and to come to a conclusion that it's a win-win situation for both parties. And then so um, th that was the work and, and uh, making sure that uh, the work that I've done for a very long time and making sure that the Hmong Council does not violate American laws. We, we do not want what we do would violate American laws. Right. So we can't say you kill a non Hmong person and we're just going to resolve this culturally. That's not acceptable. Mm. Right. Right. Because once you killed someone, you not only have the answer to the family of the deceased, but that you have to to answer to the law of this country that prevents killing of anyone. Right. Same thing with domestic assault. Yeah. OK, so the Hmong came to America with uh very a lot of reverence and deference etc to the elders and you get into the situation where now the younger people generation who can speak english they're kind of empowered and things like that and just as in most communities uh the next generation they're different from us and i'm assuming that that caused some issues but let's talk about the whole issue of the evolution of the elders and their role in the community is it lessening and and are there any concerns about that as i mean uh a lot of our kids are being raised by the internet yeah. public schools and everything else and the influence of the wisdom of elders is really being diluted so speak to that right. for uh, yeah. a minute so, uh, yeah i mean we in America, we use the word elder all the time. Yeah, you are the elders, am I? When do you become an elder and stuff? But I think most people understand that an elder is someone who is seasoned and experienced, like a chief, you know? And so there's a lot of elders in this country called judges and uh, elected politicians like uh, Elder Bidens and uh, Trump mm -hmm. and everyone else. But the, um, the, 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 the elders, uh, plays a critical role because they have the experience to to, to lead. That's how the Hmong um, people sees it. And so you have many young Hmong now growing up in this country, and eventually they will become elders, right? Because mm -hmm. they are the one that has the knowledge and experience in this country as well as Laos, to become the elders and to influence and to move the community forward in the right direction, prosper direction, not in the direction that's going to be destructive, that lead to uh, violence and destruction and uh, unsuccessful. So the elders of the young people coming to this country, they're saying, well, well, I'm an elder already. Right. I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a doctor. You know, I'm a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Why am I leading my people? And the, the answer is this. You must win the hearts of the people by your action and the decision that you make. You don't automatically become an elder just because of age. 
You become an elder based on the good decisions that you make, demonstrated decisions that you make. Like you, Lacey, for example, you are an elder in your community and respected by the Afro-American community, not because of your age, but because of the decision that you made and, your, and how successful you are. And even if it's not successful, how right, how just those decisions that you've made. And that's why people respect you. So it's not age alone, it is by experience. And I believe that the elders that's gonna lead the Hmong community into the future is gonna be those leaders that has the experience, the knowledge, and the proven decision-making that is gonna lead the community to a more prosperous uh, future. Those are the being the leader that's gonna win out in the end. I think the majority of the Hmong community is going to support those leaders. Yeah, those who listen to my podcast uh, weekly probably remember all the times I talk about my elders and the experience and just wisdom. I mean, just you understand, yeah. you, you learn to respect the difference between wisdom and knowledge and education. I mean, yeah. they're, they're just not the same. So I, I appreciate that. In fact, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of things that the yeah. black community and culture has in common with the Hmong yeah. culture that I've come to appreciate. Yeah. So uh, I want to I'm going to jump in this really important point and it okay. talks about leadership and elders. And I, I want to make sure that the audience uh, understands this a little bit better on uh, um, how the Hmong, um, you know, uh, pick their leaders. OK. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, if if you become a leader, Lacey, of any group, and and when you become that leader, everybody fights every day, you're probably not that good. That's what the elders would say, mm -hmm. right? right? They say, well, these people don't listen to me. I'm the leader. I, I'm the elder, and nobody listens to me. Well, maybe you do not know how to lead. That is why people do not follow you. Because if you are a good leader and you do what is best for people and you do what is just, the people will follow you. And if you love people and you win their hearts and their mind and their trust, then you become the leader. And that's what the Hmong people determine this day in our community. Lots of people claiming to be elders and leaders, but only a few. And General Vang Pao is definitely an example of that. And to me, my father is definitely an example of that because there will be many people, elders in a room. It is what my father say, what General Vang Pao say that ultimately um, you know, moved our community to a, a much more prosperous place. And so that's how we are determining who is gonna lead in the Hmong community for tomorrow. Yeah, and once again, sticking to your culture, you mentioned about the marriages and you can't marry anyone from your particular is a tribe a clan? Uh, she is. I don't want to use the wrong term here, yeah. but uh, uh, I think I read somewhere, and I don't know how long ago this was, but I tend to read gratuitous stuff uh, that the divorce rate among monks was like 11%. I don't know how long ago that was. Uh, have you seen the influence of the Western world? Uh, get, get that divorce rate to rise, and, and it's harder for families to stay together because of these influences. Uh, yeah, how has that impacted uh, marriages and family life here? Just the Western influence that the Hmong are like any other group in the U.S. or in the world, 
um, you know, um, the stress of, of taking care of your family. Um, and that leads to uh, a lot of uh, hardship and uh, family breaking up and just the stress that I can't stress enough about the stress uh, yeah, that the yeah. people are going through in this country. Yeah. Although it's a free country, um, it's very stressful having uh -huh. to get up every day at the same time doing this, feeding the family year after year, day after day. Um, I think people are amazing for being able to do what they do um, to keep the family together. But um, the stress and the strain and all of the um, ideas that are influencing and, and stealing, you know, like computers stealing the minds and hearts of our young people today, okay? Uh -huh. uh, they don't talk to their parents anymore. They'd rather talk to a computer. And uh, those type of stress and strain enter into the Hmong community just like everyone else. And so uh, we are seeing a tremendous uh, conflict. That's why the Hmong Council created the Hmong Mediation Program. And we want to maintain our new year and our culture to let people know, you know, don't lose who you are in America. You need to remember who you are and then become a part of America. And remember that uh, good will overcome evil no matter, no matter what and when. And so, um, America is really um, impacting the, the, the Hmong community, uh, but uh, the Hmong community is is a very, uh, I say, quick learning community as well. All right, so we 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 learn how destructive, and we also come up with solution very quickly on how we can uh, prevent it, prevent our family from from being destroyed. So so when I take you and we go out and uh, meet, you know, with, uh, with uh, different groups and different family and gathering, uh, that connection, that connection and that time that we spend together keeps the family together. It yeah. reminds us of who we are because it's so easy to lose yourself in America. Yeah. Because, you know, who, who are you? You know, what am I, you know? Um, but if you surround yourself with people that loves you, Right, you you mm -hmm. you 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 your chance of success is going to be much better, and and so um, uh, the, yeah. the answer to the question it's impacting the monk community and it's very hard, but we're trying our very best to keep our family together. Well, if you're like uh, most communities, you got young people they won't answer your call, but if you text them, <laughs> they'll text <laughs> you back right away. Correct. And um, my. Uh, and I feel blessed. Uh, my most, some of my most memorable time was just sitting down on the porch talking to my elders. Yeah. And it's a sad thing that we've lost nowadays. As a matter of fact, one of my pet peeves is to take me a video camera and a camera crew and just go down south and talk to all these elderly people out there that have so much wisdom that's going to be lost forever. And uh, uh, and this generation. So let's let's shift gears a little bit here, uh, Shia. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you were kind of like an agricultural community in Laos, and I know you do a lot of farming and hunting. And Minnesota is one of the reasons I guess they kind of like uh, living here. But tell us about your uh, cultural yeah. background in hunting and farming, and yeah. how that has uh, migrated with you uh, to America. Yep, so among uh, hunter and gatherers, and one of the things that we do um, in comparison to what we do over this country is nothing, because in Laos, and in order for you to clear a rice field, you need to go and chop down a jungle. 
Hey, I mean, you look jungle, we need to chop that up and then we let it dry and then we burn it. And then once we burn it, we clear it and then we plant our rice on these super steep hills, okay? Because we don't have any flat land to live on. So we, we grow our rice and vegetables and everything on a hillside. So remember, we behave almost like goats, you know? I mean, and then, and then we, then you gotta, you gotta keep the, the, the weeds off of all these plants as well, right? So you work year round, okay? And then if you, once you're not, um, you're done planting and you're clearing your crop, then you gotta go to the forest and, uh, you know, get some wild game to feed your family, or you gotta raise your animals. And so we're farmers, gatherers, hunters, uh, um, and have to work very hard every day, rise very early before the sun comes up because it's too hot in the afternoon to work and stay up very late and, and get the most sunlight out so that we could uh, prepare all the, that we have uh, grown and harvest. And so that's how the Hmong uh, used to, to, to be uh, the things they used to do. So when, when we come to this country, you know, we no longer have to clear a forest. Uh, that, that's good, you know? Because people get hurt chopping. When when you go and clear that forest, you get you get poked and and cut and tree falling on you and branches falling on you. It's very dangerous. And so when that you 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 talk about the monk come over here and all I do is I stand at McDonald, put a nice hat on and say, "Hello, sir. You know how can I help you today? Well, how would and 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 then and then you know you you put the food out there. You give them the thing and they people pay you." And to the monk, they're like, man, this is the easiest thing there is. You know, you stand on an assembly line, you put this bottle together for hours, and then they pay you. That beats uh, chopping up the jungle and trying to burn it, you know, without getting uh, burned yourself. So that's, that's kind of where um, the monk came from. And it was a very hard uh, place to survive and work. And so we came with that, that work, hard uh, working ethics already. At that discipline and so we we came to this country we use that we apply that in this country um going to school isn't as hard as chopping up but my my dad always kid with me he goes you know um she, uh, if you and your brothers do not um go to school and, and 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 all you need to do is read and write and that's so easy i'm gonna take you back and we can go and, and chop up some more jungles you know I go to school. I, I'll do better. I get better grades. I promise you. Now the real better. motivation comes. Yeah. Come you do better because you know what? Remember that jungle that we used to chop it down? Yeah, we're going to go back and do that if you don't, if you guys don't, don't shape up. So we get really good grades growing up. And, and then before you know it, you know, we, we all went through and passed and, and did well. So yeah, okay. that worked. So, just out of curiosity, what would you say to the American that's working at McDonald's and complaining about how hard they got to work and how low the pay is and okay. how unfair yep. it is? Yep. What would be your message to someone like that, Shia? Yeah. If, if I could, if I could, one of the things that our educational need to do is to take our children, especially the one that doesn't want to work hard, and bring them into a third world country mm-hmm. and just let them sit there for a month. You know, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to judge the jungle. Just let him go out there and try that for a month because that's going to be great way to 
um, for them to actually see it. So Hmong children who does not do well and doesn't want to go to school and do well in this country, the Hmong parents will actually get a plane ticket and take those kids back into Laos, into other country like Thailand. And then when they see everything, they come back. You don't have to tell them anymore. They all start going to school, start reading, doing all that they need to do. So what I tell the American people is before we start complaining a lot about this country, we need to look at other countries. And the problem that we have, Lacey, is that people, we, we read about it, it's not the same thing as living and seeing it, right? right our right. children do not see how people survive in other countries and how good they have it. And they're complaining about, oh, you know, I don't want to work at McDonald's. I, Lacey, I actually work at McDonald's. I'm not, I'm telling everyone that's listening, okay? I, I started out working at McDonald's when I was 15 years old. All they could do is I, I, I sweep the floor and I take care of the trash. That's how I started my career. I worked at McDonald's and I, I, I was a cleaner out there. And then eventually became, you know, I worked on the cash, uh, cashier. And then I started managing the money, started ordering everything. Eventually I became a manager of McDonald's before I went to, to college. So I tell all the people that work at McDonald's, don't give up. And before you scream a lot, hey, you know, you know, get, get on a plane, go out to a third world country, see it for yourself, and then come back. I think you're going to thank Lucky Star that you live in America, the most um, powerful and greatest nation on earth. Well, one thing I say to people, we don't talk much about work anymore. Uh, but I'm just glad that uh, that same type of work ethic was instilled in us growing up. In yeah. fact, I read this week a headline. I think 4.5 million people quit their jobs. <laughs> like, you know, uh, yeah. But for the people that are not and listening, that that are thinking about not working, you know, we are hurting our country. Okay, our country does not. Um, among people have a say money does not grow on trees. Yes, we can we can take out more money. We can make more print out more money, but it's gonna hurt all of us in the long run. It's a loan. And so the more, you know, I know JF Kennedy said it the best. Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. There's a lot to in, in that those state two simple statements, right? right? We need to ask what we need to do to make America great. You know, that's one of the things that I want to spread to this country is, remember how great this country is. You need to do your part to maintain our greatness in the world. And we're right. slipping, we are. And then we need to remind everyone to do their part. You know, don't, don't take things for granted. Appreciate everything that we have in this country. And if you don't believe that, look around, go to other places around the world, and then compare that to what we have in this country. We need to be appreciative, and we should never take anything for free. We need to work for it. You feel much better. I tell you, I mean, I learned this from uh, raising four children, right? Uh -huh. Okay, so if I just give them anything with, without them earning it, they don't appreciate it, Lacey. You right. buy them a nice toy, okay? Right. It doesn't mean it. But if you make your child do chore in the house and earn that money. And then you tell that child, go spend that money on the toy. You know what he said or she, they, they tell me, I don't want that toy. I want to keep my money. <laughs> and when they right. buy it, they, they, they appreciate it more. And it's human nature to appreciate. Right. And we need to tell this to all the people that are not willing to contribute to say, you're going to feel much better 
when you help your country than if you would just been uh, given things, you know? Right, right. Well, I have a standing offer uh, to one of my children, if they ever want to relocate and they dissatisfied, <laughs> I'm gonna play that play ticket. I'm gonna play that resettlement cost so they can go and see. And Thank compare. you. Because as yep. I just remember the first priceless time. the price that yeah, you it is. It is. to take them to go see for yourself. Yep. Because yep. you know we pay thousands of dollars for our children to attend uh, colleges and university and stuff right. like and private school. Why don't you invest a little? Make sure that your children sees the world. And I think that that's going to motivate them to be better people, right? Make them see it. Don't talk because there's too much talking these days, right? Like text, Lacey, like emails, right? Who reads these emails, right? After a while, nobody reads them. I want to see a real person. I want to see right. a real thing and not just talk and, and read about it, you know, right. or write right. about it. Right. Well, that's good input, and uh, we'll talk some more. We'll have to bring you on and talk a little bit more about the Hmong as business uh, people. Uh, I've been to the Hmong Mall uh, over in St. Paul. I don't know whether you have any more malls around the Twin City areas. Uh, but, hey, and speaking of the Twin City areas, I think uh, I read somewhere an estimate of the Hmong population here of about 60,000 people, I thought. Uh, and I'm assuming that we have the largest Hmong population in the, in, in, in the country, the state. Um, and so I just wanted to get that out. So, uh, Shia, we are regretfully uh, running up on our closing time here. And this has been very, very delightful. And I hope our audience, we pique your interest enough to go out and read about history. And in fact, I tell everyone history, is, as far as I'm concerned, it, it, it's the king of all subjects. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, go out and read up on the Vietnam War. Uh, someone sent me some uh, literature on fascism and as if I've never <laughs> heard of fascism. I don't know why they said this to me. Uh, but... Uh, uh, I told them uh, my response was, look, I've, I've studied every war that the United States have ever been involved in. I've studied it in detail, so I'm pretty much familiar with Mussolini and fascism and all that stuff, what it meant. What, what I'm getting to is that uh, I would encourage most Americans to go out and do that, especially do some research on the Vietnam War, because uh, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Yes. And in watching a lot of stuff that was going on in Afghanistan, they have us been around long enough to remember how we got out of Vietnam and a lot of the same type of issue, but not just as bad. And uh, if you're like me, uh, just about, I was born during the Korean War, and I can't remember a time except for the last four years when we weren't involved in some type of war and skirmish. So we really need to understand that and that whole history and start connecting some dots there. Uh, okay, so let's do this. I like. Uh, she always to have our guests in on some words of encouragement and to share with our audience uh, maybe a perspective, attitude, or action, or whatever tenacity that enable you to overcome a lot of challenges in your life and to keep this positive attitude. Because a lot of it's just attitude. I mean, and, and in my experience, we all face some of the basic same things in life. Except, however you want to define, successful people tend to react to them differently. And so why don't you share with our audience, uh, and then on this note, uh, some positive comments and some of the uh, things about Shia Lowe 
that help you uh, overcome your circumstances and achieve the way you have achieved. Well, uh, Lacey, uh, thanks again. And it's an honor um, for me to be on your show. Um, Hopefully what I share would help uh, the listener a little bit and they would know things a little bit more um, than before um, their interaction with me. Um, The message I want to share with everyone is that we live in the greatest country on earth. I know if and buts about it. Um, Everyone around the world um, would want to come here. And so we're already um, living in the most, um, the greatest country on earth. And uh, we we must not forget that uh, freedom is not free. And that to be number one, you must always continue to work like every athlete that wants to be number one. We have to be very best at all time. And so if we do, if we, we forget that, we're not going to be number one. And it's good to be number one, to do your very best. And so if an American works hard and, and we are the number one in the world, then we need to remember that. But also to remember that me being number one, um, uh, as the United States is the most powerful nation on earth, the world judge us not by our military might, how how big of a bomb we can create and how many jets we have and how many planes and how we can um, take out anyone in this world. That That's not how the world judge America. The world judge America by how we take care of the least among us. And that remember that how the greater you are, the more you you must remember to make sure that you take care of those that cannot take care themselves, because that shows um, the world who we are as American, and, and as a Christian, that 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 the world will know that we are Christian by our love for each other. Uh, the Hmong community is here. We want to be your friends. We want to be your family. We want to learn from you, and we hope what we have, you can learn from us, and that together we're going to build a better future, a better America, um, and a better world. And that's the message I want to to leave our listener is that that, um, um, we are here, and uh, we, we bear no heart feelings for the United States leaving us um, um, to die in the jungle and, and, and America left us. That's something that uh, America needs, must learn to be better. And I think that, that uh, America will learn um, that lesson. Uh, but, but we are here, um, I always say, you know, um, sometimes God give us um, uh, a rain and sometimes he give us a dirt. And that together, you know, we make mud, right? Uh-huh. But out of the mud, we will build clay. We will build homes. And we will build bridges with mud. And we will create a better tomorrow. And that's what I hope that all the Americans that are listening would do, is that together with rain and dirt and mud, we're going to make a clay. We're going to make a pottery of uh of what has been given us. And so, Lacey, thank you for having me on. I'm uh, happy to share uh, what, what I've learned and, and how I can t- contribute. So thank you for listening. Well, thank you for 
uh, being on uh, Shia and thank you for you and your mom community for all the contribution you made, especially here in the Twin Cities. And like I say, I just love the culture and everything, all the people I've met. And uh, I'm gonna let it in on all those great words that you just said and say, uh, hopefully we'll get you back on. Uh, we'll talk about working together, uh, the Hmong and our community to establish businesses. And we already talked on some of that talk there. So thank you very much. And looking forward to seeing you and the council and everyone again. And I really appreciate it. She keep up the great work, man, and keep up the positive uh, attitude and spirit. And let's go out here and make things happen. Uh, so thank you very much. Have a great evening. Uh, nice uh, way to get off. The, get the new year's off to a good uh, start so thank you very much thank you, thank you. and okay. uh, good bye night bye. to everyone okay yeah, bye good bye. night to everyone uh thanks yeah okay uh so uh once again thanks everyone for listening in remember to go out to lacyjohnson.com uh subscribe click the bell for notification uh donate to the podcast buy stuff from the online store uh, we're lining, trying to line up a lot of great uh, guests for you this uh, coming year. And I just really enjoy uh, doing this for you. And once again, we would never, ever take you for granted. So good night, everyone. Lisa Johnson, Bright Lights. See you next week. Thanks.